Jesus, we need you to be able to understand your words. I need you to speak through me, Jesus, because I am a uh, sinful man. And uh, yet you've put your Holy Spirit inside me by your grace and inside all of us. And so we need you by your Spirit to speak to us and to teach us what the meaning of this scripture might be. And especially for us today in our lives and how we could apply it into our lives and Lord, how you could maybe do the same thing for us that you've done for Elisha and uh, this poor widow that we're going to read about today. Jesus, we love you. We call upon you to be our Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to learn about the pot of oil today, the fourth miracle, fifth miracle of Elisha. And uh, we've been going through all these miracles. I've, I've, I've was going to put out there on the internet, I was going to teach about pot today, and I thought we'd fill up real big, but you know, it is Denver and all. Um, But we're going to teach about all the different pots that Elisha fills up today. So we've been been, uh, studying Elisha, and we've seen Elisha followed Elijah, and Elijah represented Jesus. He's a picture for us of Jesus. Everything he did kind of lines up with Jesus. And Elisha, the prophet that comes after him to the nation of Israel, he represents who? The church. Exactly. The us. We can do and should do the things that Elisha does with the nation of Israel. And the nation speaks of the world, all, the, all of the people in the world. And so, as we've seen, there's, there's all kinds of lessons that we've already learned about how Elisha ministers to the people and how he blesses them, and he's always bringing them the life of Jesus, like the salt that we saw that healed the waters, and the new life, the victory over death when he crossed over the Jordan River. Elisha does exactly twice as many miracles as Elijah did. And isn't it funny that Jesus said, you will do greater things than I did. Isn't that weird? And we talked about how Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit before Elijah was taken up in the world with the fiery tornado with the, um, the chariots of fire. Elisha said, please give me a double portion of your spirit. I, I want to do what you do. I want the same filling, the same power that you have because I have the same people I have to deal with. And these people are sometimes difficult. Is anyone difficult in your life? Do you have anyone that's a problem? (laughs) So many people. (laughs) Well, Jesus knows what that's like, how all of his friends weren't awesome. Okay, and, and so he knows, and he did a wonderful job when Jesus was here of ministering to them and loving them, even when they didn't always deserve it. And what happens is that he, he gives us the same power that he had. He gives us the same power. And that's this second, this, this double portion of his spirit. It's called the Holy Spirit. And we can't love people. We can't be like Jesus um, without it. We just can't do it. It will make you so tired. And each and every one of you will burn out really fast if you try to live by your own strength, okay? So that's, that's our little introduction. Let's read our text for today, which is chapter 4, uh, the first seven verses of chapter 4, 2 Kings. <clears throat> A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets 
cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, what, do I, what, do, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. But he said to her, There is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debt. And... You and your sons live on the rest. Need, real, urgent, real need. That's what this woman has. She's desperate. She's broken. She's lonely. And she's in trouble. Has that ever been you? You ever had just that time that was was awful? Well, this story is going to bring you hope for any time that you're in that. But I think it's also here to teach us how to be like Elisha. How we as Christians can help people who are in this end-of-the-road place. This, I, I'm done with my life, I, my cre- these creditors, and I, just whatever their situation is, when they are maxed out, we have something for them. You have something, for, and you better learn this lesson today, or I'm going to teach it again next week. And you don't want that. Just kidding. We want a Christmas sermon next week, right? You need to learn this lesson. Christians are far too unskilled in the Word of God. We need to be able to share with people who are at the end what God can do for them. But the sad part is most of us don't know it ourselves. We haven't really experienced it ourselves. So this sermon may have two effects. It may help you understand what God does for you, number one. And number two, it may help you understand how you can minister to other people, how you can serve God by being like Elijah and teaching other people. So let's look specifically at this story, at some of the details, so that we can learn how God wants us to minister to people, okay? It says, now a certain woman. And I want to pause right there because that's interesting. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha. So the certain woman. What that shows us is that God sees each person and their circumstances. No one is outside of God's sight. And so you can't, you don't ever feel like your situation is not his number one priority. Your situation is 
you have a flat tire, call out to the Lord. It is his priority. Well, it's just little old me with a little old flat tire. God's not interested in me. Lack of faith. No. His word says he has sovereignly worked in that situation. He brought you the flat tire. And it's our responsibility, it's our privilege to be able to go to our Father in heaven and say, I have a need right now. This is a certain woman. God knows her. Don't ever think that you're bothering God by bringing your needs to him. Do you ever feel like that? God, I'm just, you have so, all those starving kids in Africa. You don't want to help someone in Denver with their bills. That is not true. He sees that you are in need. And he has allowed this need to be shown up in your life. He allowed it. It didn't just show up and take him by surprise. Your accidents, your firing, your unexpected death, your cancer, your breakup, none of them ever surprised God. Not a single one of them. Each and every one was carefully planned and allowed by a loving father into his child's life. Even though they, they hurt us and they shock us and they devastate us, God is com- in complete control. He is. He knew it would happen. This world that we live in seems crazy and unpredictable, but it's not. And when we try to control everything in our life, it will only lead to stress and sin. Anyone in here a control freak? Loving, controlling things, controlling people. I got this lined up so it doesn't happen. I got this lined up so it doesn't go wrong over here. This is not going to go wrong over here. You know what happens when things go wrong? They die of stress. They're like, ah, but God is in control. Sometimes you just got to let him be in control. The almighty God sees you as a certain man or a certain woman. He knows your life. You are his child, his beloved child. And he knows your need before you call, right? And he begs us to call out to him when we are in need. And sometimes it's been a while since you've called out to him, so he lets you Get a little bit more need in your life. And you're like, well, that seems an awful lot like a spanking or a discipline. Yeah, maybe it is. The Lord loves those whom he disciplines, right? Yeah, exactly. We don't always need to, um, we don't always need the thing we think we need, but we always need God. So sometimes the thing like your car breaks down and you're like, what am I going to do without my car? But well, you don't really need your car, but you do need the Lord. Sometimes you are underwater and you can't breathe and you think you really need oxygen, but you really need the Lord. I don't know, that was a weird example, but... He says here now, your servant, my husband is dead. Or the woman says, your servant, my husband is dead. 
and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. Why did this happen to this good woman? This wasn't just a normal woman off the street. These were in ministry. They were serving Elisha. They were serving the Lord. This was like a, one of the pastors of the church died, and his wife is here, okay? Why did this happen to this good woman? Why did a bad thing happen to a good woman? We hear that question a lot in this world, don't we? And we tackle it all the time here at church because it is not a question to shy away from. A lot of people are like, why do bad things happen to good people? Oh, it's such a good way to share the gospel with people. There are no good people. But here, this woman's. we don't know. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us why this crazy bad thing happened to this woman. We don't know. Her husband was a good man. She even says he feared the Lord. And Elisha doesn't says, Psh, I saw his internet history. He doesn't say that. Elisha's like, yeah, I know. But somehow they ended up in debt. And some people try to say, oh, she deserved it. Well, maybe she did. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Maybe she didn't. It doesn't matter. The Lord brought this up in her life, this situation. Her need is what God is interested in because he, God, is interested in her. He cares about her. So he somehow allowed this all to happen. God allowed this trial into her life so that he could teach her an important lesson and so he could teach you and all of us an important lesson today so that she will only look to God to meet her needs. And we need to learn the lesson that we can only look to God to meet our needs. Look at what has happened here. Her human protector has been removed. Something that was good in her life. Her husband, her good husband, he had always provided everything, and that was God's plan. So why would God remove a good gift? something good in her life. Now it's taken away. Is that just a mean God? Is it fair? God has always taken care of this woman. He always will take care of this woman. But he's going to change the way that he does it. At first he did it through the husband. He used her husband. He gave her a husband so that the husband could take care of her. And now he's going to take care of her in a different way. He's going to teach her to go directly to the source, to the Father, and to live by faith in the Father. Some of you in here need to learn that lesson too. God has given you some good things, maybe a job, maybe a relationship that's good. But it's not the direct link. Now, you don't go divorce because I'm going to trust only in the Lord. No, that's dumb. No, you, you honor the Lord, you seek the Lord, but you, you, husbands, you can't be satisfied by your wife alone. You have to go to the Lord. To be, wives, your husband isn't going to always provide everything that you need. 
You have to learn to go to the Lord alone. Now, look what Elisha does and what he says. He says here, what shall I do for you? And this, remember Elisha, who does Elisha represent? The church, okay? What shall I do for you? He clearly sees that he can't do anything in his own power to fix her situation. So what the church doesn't do is we don't go around saying, we can fix all your situations here. Come to us for money. Come to us for jobs. Come, we're, we're here to fix all your situations. That isn't what we do. Elisha is weak. He's just a man. He's just a servant of God. He serves the master. And that is exactly what each one of us are. We are weak. And we're, but we're learning to receive from God what we need. So we're kind of just like brokers. We just are learning how to go to the people who have the resources to get them for us and for the people around us. Elisha wants her to understand that no man can really supply all that she needs. Not her husband and not her pastor. Neither, no man, can supply what she needs. Do you look to men to supply what you need? Ladies. A paycheck. <laughs> Love. Value. Security. Do you look to anyone, to anyone in this world to provide those things for you? Only God can truly meet all these needs in our soul. Men can be used by God for a time, but his plan is always to free us of our dependency on other men and to free us into dependency upon him. So why did all the bad things happen in your life? That's why. It is. It's so that you, over time and through hard trials, would learn. God will provide what you need. He will give it to you because he loves you. So Elisha, he says to her here, tell me, why do you, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing. I have that underlined. In the house, but a jar of oil, just a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere and from all your neighbors, empty neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. So our question is, why does Elisha instruct her to get empty vessels? And very clearly, it's because God desires us to bring our emptiness to him to be useful. He can and he will use empty vessels. God doesn't make a lot of sense to us sometimes. Do you remember Gideon? Gideon, God said, I'm going to use you, mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, I'm a dork. Why would you use me? And God says, I'm going to use you to bring victory over these people over here. And Gideon, so Gideon gathers an army, and God says, there's too many of them. And so he, he whittles them down to 300, and he says, there's too many of them, still. And Gideon's like, are you kidding me? I have 300 to go up against all these hundreds of thousands of, I think Midianites were at the time. Okay, so why would 300, and God gave a reason why 300 was too many. Do you remember what that reason was? Because if, he said, if I give victory to 
300 men, Israel might, might, which means they probably will, think it was their own strength that brought them the victory. So God had to whittle them down to the smallest number possible. So he was still using them, but so that they would know that they did nothing to win the battle. And so the few men that God did use, he had them carry a pot with a fire in it and trumpets. And that's how they went to war. And they went, surrounded them, broke the trumpets, and broke the pot and the flame and the fire, and they blew the horns, and boom, they had victory. And they knew then that it was God that gave them the victory. We have to get over ourselves. God wants you to not believe in yourself. In school today, it is so ingrained and indoctrinated into our world today. Believe in yourself. You can do it. You are an American. You're a strong man or woman or whatever you are. You can do it. And God wants to say, stop believing that. You can't, but I can. And I'll give you the victory. I, will, I'm, I got my hands open. I'm begging you to call upon me and see what I'll do for someone who will put their hope in me alone. And you're like, well, but if I put my hope in the Lord alone, then what happens if he doesn't come through? Isn't that what we think? And that is just sinful lack of faith. We can't think that way. What if God doesn't come through? Oh, you mean he's going to violate all his character written in the entire word of God and that hundreds of thousands of times he showed himself to be faithful and you're going to say, well, I don't think he's going to. Idiot. That's what that is. It is faithless sin to say, what if God doesn't come through for me? No, it's wrong. Now, you're living a sinful life and you don't care about repenting? Yeah, you call upon the Lord and the Lord's going to laugh and watch you burn. You don't care about him. He's not going to respond to you. Paul says, love the Lord God or be cursed. Love him and depend on him. Have faith in him. Told you it was going to get crazy today, right? This is the greatest problem in the church today. We're too full of ourselves. Notice, Elisha didn't really care about her full cup of oil. Only the empty ones were really useful in this situation. When the church will finally confess their emptiness and need to God, it will be our joy to bring our empty vessels to him. Every Sunday we'll show up and be like, God, I'm so empty. I need you so much for this in my life. And I am so, I suck over here. And I'm so evil over here. And I am broken over here. And I just had a kid and they're driving me crazy or whatever's going on in your situation. We bring them all to the Lord. And it's our joy. And we don't get embarrassed when God sees our needs and our shortcomings. He says, don't bring just a few. What does that mean? It means that the more areas of your life that you will bring to the Lord, the more you can see him work. The areas you hide back and say, oh, I don't need God to work over here. This is my time I have to myself, and I'm just fine with that. 
we don't realize it's empty. The more areas we bring, we're often so satisfied with just a few jars of oil, and the Lord God wanted to fill all of it. And we're like, why does he make me surrender all the areas of my life? And he's like, are you that dumb? I want you to surrender them and bring them to me so that I can fill them. Jesus said, I came to have life and life more abundantly. He didn't come to make you have a boring life. But he does demand total surrender of every part of your life so that he can bring life to it. We should give some real serious thought and time to thinking about where we could find some more empty jars. What other areas of my life could I surrender to the Lord? I mean, could I, could I surrender more my sleeping time? I mean, I think I need that, but maybe, maybe it's an empty vessel I could get filled. What about my time bef- right before bed? Or what about this? Or what about that? And I don't know what it is in your life. But all of them. All of them. And we need to sometimes think. We get into such, I, I'm a creature of habit. I love my habits. I love coming to church on Sundays. And, and that's just my habit, and I love it. I love Monday mornings, getting into the Word and doing my study for the next week. I, I love that that's my time to do that. And when Dana says, oh, we have to do something else on Monday, I'm always like, ugh, doesn't feel right, right? We love our habits. A lot of us do. But are our habits just jars that we're holding back? We have to say, it's the Lord's the Lord of my life. I'm not. And even though I'm more comfortable living this way, maybe he doesn't want me to live that way. Maybe I'm not supposed to have the house. Maybe I'm not supposed to have the car. What does he want? We can, well, let's go on. And when you have come in, Elisha said, you can shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour out into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now, what's strange here is that Elisha makes this miracle a private thing. It's not something that everyone gets to see at the beginning. And it reminds me of John chapter 14, verse 17 which says the spirit of truth. What does oil represent in the Bible? Holy Spirit. Well done. Well taught, young man. The Holy Spirit. When the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. There it describes how the, the world sees the Holy Spirit. They don't. And they see Christians... And they're like, you guys are a bunch of weak people who need church to make you feel better about your lives. And They don't see the powerful work. They don't see when someone's freed of a life of sin that that's the work of the Holy Spirit. They're just like, oh, they tried hard enough. They finally did it. That's what, and, and then they invent their own little groups of trying hard people, and they call them, well, I'll, I'll drop that right there. 
<clears throat> anyway, the world doesn't see. They can't see. They won't see. The world doesn't understand grace. I'm going to kill the spiders coming right at me right now. I got you. I got you. We saved our life. Why, when I'm teaching, do spiders attack me? In the Dominican Republic, you guys know the story, right? This giant araña del muerte came at me. Oh, my gosh. No, it's the same size. This was way smaller. Same, no, that was on that side. I remember. It's burned in my memory. It was on this side. Maybe it was on that side. I don't know. Anyway. The world doesn't understand grace because they can't. Their hearts are closed to it. So why would God, this is what the world says, why would God just give help to loser people that ask for it? How would God be willing to do such a thing? They aren't any better than me. In fact, they're weak and I'm stronger than they are. I'm a better specimen of how to be a person in this world. I've done better in this world. I have degrees. I have abilities and talents. Why would God help loser people? But we, as believers, we see it from a different view. The same one he sees us through, which is Jesus. Okay, so we can see things through Jesus. And we see that God will always meet a need because Jesus always met the need of every person that ever came into his life. Every person that ever wanted to be healed, guess what happened when they came to Jesus? They were healed. It didn't matter what their sin was. It didn't matter what their sickness was. It didn't matter. Jesus says, I fix everything. Every single person who came to Jesus to be forgiven, guess what? They were forgiven. There's only one guy, and we talked about him last week, who turned around and left when he wanted to be forgiven because he didn't want to surrender all to the Lord. He didn't want to surrender at all to the Lord. God will always meet my need because Jesus did. God says, I can supply, I will always supply anything you need not because you deserve it, but because Jesus deserved it. And he swapped his life with your life, his deserving life for your undeserving life, and so you are free to be a loser. And all losers are free to come to God, and God will help them because of Jesus. I'm going to turn to Psalm 88, and I would like you to see Psalm 88. Because when we get to Psalm 88, and if you've ever been reading through the Psalms, sometimes you get to these Psalms. There's a really, did you see the Babylon Bee this week about the guy who wrote his Christmas cards and he accidentally put in an imprecatory Psalm about the Lord bash their teeth in? That was really funny. Uh, but anyway, sometimes you get to a Psalm and you're like, I don't understand this Psalm. This is weird. And Psalm 88 can be like one of those psalms. Or you read it and you're like, there is no hope in reading this psalm. I don't understand why God would put this psalm in the Bible. But look at Psalm 88. O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Okay, so 
We've heard that before. We know people call out to the Lord. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to the grave. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength, adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more and are cut off from your hand. Okay, so now he's basically saying, God, you, you are killing me. I'm cut off from your hand. You, you, he's talking to God, you have laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. Selah. You have put away my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up, and I cannot get out. My eye wastes away because of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon you. I have stretched out my hands to you. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Selah. <laughs> There's a lot in there that's really awesome. Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark? Or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you, Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. I suffer your terrors. I'm distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They came around me all day long like water. They engulfed me altogether. Loved one and friend, you have put far from me and, acquainted, and my acquaintances into darkness. The end. Wow, that's super depressing. Super depressing. And as we read that, we are on this side, and we see that's not my life. When I call upon the Lord, he answers me. So who is this about? It's actually about Jesus. This is a prayer of Jesus. This is what Jesus went through so that you and me never, ever will experience what this psalm talks about. God turning his back as Jesus suffered. You and I, when we suffer, God will never turn his back. Never. God wouldn't have turned his back on his own son, would he? Unless it was to accomplish something which was our salvation. And so when Jesus cried out, when Jesus was suffering, when the waves of anguish were coming over him, the Lord turned his back and didn't listen to his son's cries saying, Father, help me. And what we need to understand today is that that happens so that you can always call out to the Lord and he will hear you. And that is the promise that we hang on to today. That's the promise we live by today. And unbelievers don't know or believe that this exchange happened. They can't see how God could always hear you because you're lame. They see how lame you are. You're not hiding anything. And they're like, why would God hear you when you're crying out to be healed of cancer? You're a weirdo. Why would God call out? Why would God listen to you? 
And they, they're, they're puzzled by this because they don't understand what happened on the cross switched places of our lives. And God now, when he should have responded to Jesus, what was right is that God would have responded to Jesus, taken him off the cross, and all the people who were saying, call out to your father, would have all been proved wrong right there. You've been reading it, and, and the soldiers mocking Jesus, and you're like, yeah, Jesus, why don't you just get down off the cross so they see that you're God? And Jesus is like, I know, right? Jesus is like, come on. I, Lord, I'm calling out to you. But he called out knowing God was going to be silent, knowing God was going to turn his back so that there could be this exchange. And this exchange is called redemption. Okay, people? Redemption. That's what this is called. Look at what happens here. So when she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there are no other vessel. There is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. And then she came and told the man of God and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debt. You and your sons live on the rest. God redeems us. He brought us back into being the children of God. Remember, way back in the Garden of Eden, we were called the children of God. Adam was a child of God. And if you remember back in the Garden of Eden, God was responsible for providing everything for Adam. I mean, it would have been kind of mean if he just threw Adam out there and said, see ya, I'm off to see a movie. New Star Wars is out. Stars were just made. That was a good joke, actually. Anyway. When, <laughs> when we were redeemed by Jesus, we were brought back into this relationship where God promises to provide everything for us. We stop trying to do our own thing, and instead we learn over time, to receive from him everything that we need through the Holy Spirit. God pays our debts for us. He doesn't make them disappear with magic, like Harry Potter, magic words. He actually pays them. This is so important for us to understand. This is what we have that the world doesn't see, but we have it and it's so real. It pays our debts can I read to you a Jonathan Edwards quote? Jonathan Edwards quotes. I usually do Spurgeon quotes, but today is a Jonathan Edwards. He was a, a, a real awesome preacher. Like, he was the man. Let me read this to you. The redeemed are dependent on God for everything. All that we have, wisdom, the pardon of sin, deliverance from sin. That's a wisdom, meaning if you need to know what to do, God will, God will give you that. Pardon of sin, if you need to be forgiven, God will give you that. Deliverance, if you need God to change you so you don't sin again, God will give you that. Acceptance in God's favor, grace, holiness, true comfort and happiness, eternal life and glory. We have all of it from God by a mediator. And the mediator is God. God not only gives us the mediator and accepts his mediation 
and then his power and his grace bestows on us the things purchased by the mediator, but he is the mediator. Our blessings are what we have by purchase, and the purchase is made by God. The blessings are purchased by him. And not only that, but God is also the purchaser. Yes, God is both the purchaser and the price. For Christ, who is God, purchased these blessings by offering himself as the price of our salvation. So let's look back again at our story, and I'm going to point out six ways that this is shown perfectly in our story way back thousands of years before Jesus was born, right here. Number one, the widow used to be fine. She had all that she needed, just like us. In the Garden of Eden, we were good. Number two, then the widow lost it all. Something happened. Now she's in debt, major big-time trouble, right? Number three, the creditor demanded payment with life. He said, only life will do. Give me your two sons. That was the payment. Number four, she can only rely on grace, the grace of God for her salvation. He must pay for her. Thus, he redeems her. She asks God to just pay for it, and God says, okay. And God figures out a way to do it. Number five, the grace paid the debt in full and the creditors left. This is exactly what happens with us when we believe in Christ we receive his salvation. Our debt of sin is paid and the creditors are like, I got nothing on them anymore. The enemy, Satan, says, I cannot demand anything of this person now. They, can't, they don't have to serve me. They don't have to give me their life. He still hates you, but he can't demand it of you anymore. Number six, once the debt is paid, there is more oil left over. And Elisha said, live on this oil. So guess what happens? This teaches us that God's grace is sufficient not only to pay our debts, but also it becomes a new resource to live by. A new resource to live by. So you don't become a Christian and say, okay, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Now I'm going to try my darndest and my hardest to live for you. That is not right. You say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me, and I'm going to continue to depend on you for my daily walk. I'm going to continue to look to you, to you alone. Redemption is a crazy story how, how it all comes back, but there's one quick story I'm going to tell you guys. There was this little boy, and you might have heard the story before. I think I've told it before, but I don't know. There's a little boy, and he carved a boat, and he did a real good job carving this boat, and he spent weeks on it, and he loved his little boat. And he took it down to the, the, the river to test it out, and it, it floated just miraculously. It was wonderful. It was so beautiful. He was so proud. And he's like, yeah, my boat. But then it got out to the river a little bit, and it started to go downstream, and he ran and ran, and he started the, the, he just got passionately upset because he lost his boat. And weeks went by, and he's, and he's missing his boat, and, he's so, and he tries to carve other boats, but they're not the same, and none of them float, and he's so disappointed. But then one day, he's walking through town, and he sees a pawn shop. 
And his boat is sitting right there in the window of the pawn shop. And he sees it and he says, ah! He goes into the, to the pawn shop owner and he says, that's my boat. And the pawn shop owner says, great, that'll be $10. And he says, but it's my boat. He says, I don't care. I own it. Now, someone sold it to me, so you owe me $10 if you're going to take that boat. So the, the little boy went, and he got the money, and he brought it in, and he bought the boat. The boat he made, he bought it. And as he was leaving that store, he held the boat close to his arms, and he said, now you're mine twice. I made you, and I bought you. And that's the story of us. How much does God love you? Well, he made you, put his very life in you, and then when you went astray, he bought you back. He literally owns you twice. And that is how we end our, our, our sermon today, our talk today, because what Elisha showed this woman and taught this woman is that God wants you to know that he's your father, that he redeems you, not because you're worthy, worthy, but you're worth it to him. He loves you. And so he will, guaranteed, provide for you when you call upon him. When you call upon him. And he does require that you bring all the empty vessels and that you, you bring all your life to him and surrender it all to him. But it's only so that he can provide for you supernaturally, miraculously. This goes into a lot of different areas of your life. Why do you tithe? You tithe because you're bringing that to the Lord and saying, Lord, here's an empty vessel and I trust you that you're going to provide for me. So I'm going to surrender that part of my life. If you're dating, why do you not live together or have sex before you get married? So it's another thing that God can fill. Well, but it's harder to not live together because you got two sets of bills. And Is God not going to provide for you if you want to live holy? You call upon him and say, Lord, what do I do? Do I live with this person and sin? Or can I call upon you and you provide for my needs so that I can live a holy life? You know, there's so many ways we can take this and apply redemption into our lives. You've been redeemed, which means if there's anything you want to do that honors God, you call upon him and you do it. He will give it to you. He will supply you. Right? Amen. Amen. We don't accept, oh, I'm just going to I'm just going to use a couple of the vessels I have around my house. And then I'll be poor with my oil later. I, that's not the life we're going to live. We're going to live lives that call upon the Lord in everything and surrender everything to him. So there we go.